Hey, we're going to jump right into our study going back into uh, the epistle, John's first epistle. Uh, if, you've, uh, if you're new uh, to integrity, uh, we've been kind of taking a deep dive these last number of months looking at this um, important epistle that John writes. And so um, we're looking at it verse by verse. And uh, this morning we're going to pick up in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. And the title of my message is Discerning Between Truth and and error. Discerning between truth and error. Um, This is a subject that John is addressing all throughout uh, his epistle. It's important because he's addressing a situation, there's a purpose behind John's writing to uh, the audience in whom he was writing to. There was some false teaching that was going on uh, within the churches and it was causing um, some to uh, leave the church and be confused about things. And and, um, something that was uh, very prevalent that day was something called Gnosticism. And while there's many facets to Gnosticism, um, the essence of what was causing a problem in the church was that in Gnosticism, they believed that anything that was physical, anything that was matter that you can touch is evil, and everything that's spiritual is good. And so this was becoming a real problem because as we understand the scriptures, we recognize that God in Christ became man in the incarnation. Right, And so we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man while he walked the earth. And so the, in the logical mind of the Gnostic, they're thinking, wait a minute, if everything that is matter is evil, then how in the world can God come in the person of man being matter and be evil while still maintaining his nature as God? And so it caused a tremendous uh, um, division within the church. And because what they started to do is they figured, let's try to dilute what we understand Jesus to be. And so they started to make uh, all kinds of um, teachings about uh, who Christ was and diminishing his deity and assigning when he was God and when he was man. And it was just really causing a rift in the church. In fact, it started to, uh, for those who were kind of in the church but not really having embraced Christ, it kind of revealed that they really hadn't known Christ. And, and so John sends this letter to bring some clarity to the nature of Christ. And he's addressing a lot of the, of the errors that were, te- that, that were being taught in that day. And so um, we're going to take a look at the, the discerning between truth and error. Because here's the thing. If Jesus didn't become man, then he couldn't be our perfect sacrifice. Right? And if he couldn't be our perfect sacrifice then we're still in our sins and we're lost and we're heading into a, a Christless eternity. And so the, the ramifications of this, of this error were very profound. And so John brings some clarity on how do we decipher between truth and error. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Because what was true in John's day, how many know it's true in our day as well? Right? There's all kinds of false teaching out there. There's a lot of religious systems that are out there. There's so many different twisting and turning of truth that that the child of God needs to have a grasp on that which is true, and we need to know how to discern between truth and error. And the scripture gives us a real clear picture on how to do that. I don't know about you, but maybe... Have you ever had those moments where there, there's, a, there's a fear that maybe you're believing the wrong thing? You don't have to raise your hand. But, but, but those moments where you start to think, well, well you know, this, this person said this, and that person said that, and this person said this. What is it? Right? But the reality, the reality is God doesn't leave us having to guess which one, hoping that the straw we pull is the right one. The Word of God presents crystal clarity that we can discern between truth and error. And so this morning, um, I pray this is the tremendous time of equipping of the church. Because I believe we are, in, are, we are in a day and we are entering into a day, even more so at a much more accelerated rate, where, li- where lies are going to abound and truth is going to be challenged, right? You know how many know there's, there's some really good benefits artificial intelligence and there's some really concerning things about AI as well 
right? And if there's ever a time for the church to really understand and know how to discern between truth and error, it is right now. And so if that creates a sense like, oh, in you, good, mission accomplished. Because here's the thing, I want to create a sense of awareness so that we can lean on the word of God to help us discern, to discern between truth and error. So let's take a look at our text this morning. Um, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, we're going to pick up right in the beginning. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's just stop there for a moment. John points out something that is, that is very significant, very important for us to understand, that, that every lie that every truth has a source that is beyond the person that is presenting it, right? Every truth, every lie has a source. Every word, every teaching, every, um, every belief has a source that it came from, right? And so what we see here is our, fourth, our first point that, that John is gonna present to us is the call to discernment. Because you and I have a call to discernment. We aren't left, we aren't intended to be just kind of hoping that we got the right thing, you know, that we're holding on to the right thing here. There is a call that we have to discern. And what John is saying here is he's saying, listen, man, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or whether they are from Satan. And we'll see in a moment when he talks about testing the spirits, what he's referring to is test the teachings, test the content, test what you're hearing to see what is the source of what you're hearing. Is it coming from God or is it coming from the a false prophet which traces back to Satan? And so we see in our first point, there is a call that each and every one of us have to discernment. John points out that many false prophets have gone out into the world. This was not uncommon in that day. Certainly there were, listen, Jesus isn't the only one who said, I am the Christ. There were many who, who rose up in that day, many false teachers, many false prophets all throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament and how many know in this day as well, right? So we see there is a call to discernment. And just because someone says they've heard from God on a matter doesn't mean that they have. And that's really important for us to understand. I don't care what they've claimed to have seen, smelt, experienced, felt. What, if, they, if what they have experienced does not line up with the word of God, you need to dismiss it as error. Remember Jesus said, many are gonna say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and do all kinds of miraculous things in your name? And Jesus is gonna say, depart from me for I never knew you. And so listen, we are entering to a day in a day where there's a lot of supernatural activity that's taking place. And we need to make sure that we are not impressed with things that appear to be above natural law because just like truth and error have a source, so does supernatural activity. And every bit of super, supernatural activity will have a source in God or will have a source in Satan. And so it's critically important that we understand what the source is. So don't be impressed. Remember, remember when... Um, when uh, Moses, you know, uh, when, when, when uh, with the prophets, they threw the, the, the rod down and turned into a snake and then the prophets of Baal, they did the same thing. Don't, don't be impressed by that kind of stuff. We need to make sure that everything lines with the word of God. Just because somebody says they've heard from God doesn't mean they have. We are to be vigilant Examining the messages we encounter against the unchanging standard of God's word. We are to be actively growing in our understanding of God's word. It is critically important. Paul says this to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That is what we are called to do. Look, notice there, he says that we are to be one that seeks to be approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. In the presence of who? In the presence of God. 
God who's given us his word and calls us to steward that which he has freely given to us. And, and what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you don't want to be ashamed on that day because you haven't, look what he says, rightly handled the word of truth. The word of God is our metric to determine that which is true and that which is false. It is the call, the responsibility, and the privilege to be a discerner of truth. We aren't to, we aren't to rely on other people to tell us what is true. I had somebody recently say to me, hey, pastor, whatever you say, I believe it. I was like, bro, you're setting yourself up for deception. Not that I'm gonna be looking for to, to deceive you, but don't put all your eggs in this basket, right? God's giving you his word. God's giving you his spirit. You need to test all things. That's why I tell you, you need to test what I say as well. Don't just take for granted you like something I said. Well, you must be, make sure that what I'm saying is lined up in the word of God. You need to, everything you allow into your heart and into your mind, you need to test it and weigh it out to the word of God. What's the goal? The goal is to determine what is true and what is a lie. Now let's say this. All truth, as I said before, all truth and lies have a source. They trace back to something that is beyond the person that is presenting it, right? And so all truth finds its source in God, right? Because he, he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, right? So Jesus is truth. So all truth is God's truth. So the, the, the reality of it is, if something comes across and it is truthful, its source is in God. Likewise, all lies find its source in Satan, that's where it all comes. It might have come out of somebody's mouth, but it finds its source in Satan. Remember, Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. And the father of life of lies spawns children of lies, right? But the source is Satan. And so we need to know how to discern between those two. Now, what John is not saying is that you need to test the demonic realm that you need to test the, the heavenly realm. You don't test the sources, but you do need to test what or where a particular belief or teaching finds its source. We are to rightly handle the word of truth by looking at those things and seeing it through the lens of God's word. When John refers to, the, to, to, the, the, uh, to testing the spirits, He's referring to testing the content of what is being taught. You know, sometimes you can read that and be like, testing the spirits? Right, no, no. What is he referring to there? He's referring to testing the content of what is being taught. John isn't encouraging an over-fascination with the engagement of spirits. He's addressing the, the teaching, and that'll be clearer as we get further into the text here. But what he's referring to when he talks about testing the spirits, he's talking about testing the teaching, what the content of what is being presented. Deciphering or discerning between truth and error means we look at what's being taught and we decipher which source it's coming from. We see a great illustration of this very truth laid out in the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, we see that Jesus is, is hanging with his disciples and, and he says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He says, hey, who, does, who do men say that I am? And so they start talking like, well, you know, some, some say you're John the Baptist having come back. Some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah. Some, some say you're, you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at his, his, his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? He nails it. He knows exactly who he is. And Jesus says to him, Peter, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, nobody has told you this. No human being, flesh and blood, has revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. Peter, you just dropped a huge truth bomb. And let me tell you, the source of that truth is not something you learned in school, Peter, but the source of that is my Father. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. And he says, and I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, on this truth, on that statement that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a great day for Peter. 
Man, he rose above the crowd, right? I mean, like he was, he was, he, Jesus called him the rock. Peter was the only one that nailed it. He had the right answer and all the disciples were probably like thinking, man, he nailed it and he heard from the Father. But before Peter had any opportunity to even celebrate the moment and get overly puffed up about himself, we see just a couple of verses later another conversation that Jesus is having with them. It's right after that that Jesus goes into what is about to happen. He says in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 16, he says, from that time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the, and the scribes, and that he would be killed. And on the third day, he'd rise again. And Peter, the, the rock, probably thinking, you know what? I am the man of the hour, so let, let me, he pulls Jesus aside. And he begins to rebuke Jesus and he says Jesus far be it from you that you're going to be crucified and what does Jesus say to him get thee behind me Satan you see the things that just came out of Peter's mouth was not truth it was a lie and its source went back to Satan and so Jesus addresses, addresses the lie and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are in the way of the plan of redemption that is in motion. Talk about going from hero to zero like that, right? He hears from the father one moment, he hears from Satan next. And so what does that tell me? That tells me that everybody has the possibility of dropping a truth bomb or a lie bomb. You need to test even the people you trust. Amen? Listen, hey, you know what? Well, many people have said the wrong things. I have held the wrong things in the past. That looked and said, oh, I, I, you know, I've changed in that area. So you, you need to test all things, right? Now, people who, who continue to perpetuate lies is different. Those are those that designate themselves as false teachers and false Christs even. Which is another conversation for another day. But but what I, what I what I highlight to you in this in this exchange is we see that we we see a truth statement, we see a lie statement. Both of them have a source, and where is their source? It is from God, the Father of truth, or from Satan, a lot, the lie. Let's continue. Verse two, he says this. In verse two, he says, "By this you know the Spirit of God, and every spirit." He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I like that. He's addressing the very real issue they're dealing with in their particular day. He says, by this you know the spirit of God. Here's how you're gonna know truth, you ready? Every spirit, every teaching, every bit of content, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that teaching is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, Jesus is not from God. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so what Jesus, what we see here is, is um, John is laying out a very clear uh, criteria for them to know, here's how you'll know the spirit of truth. Interesting, if you look at that word spirit, it's got a capital S, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, Right? And, then he, and then he uses in the same sentence, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he uses a small s, that's not referring to the spirit of truth, it's referring to the teachings, the content. By this, we know the spirit of God. John makes a clear distinction between the two. John opens up again with this, this passage with a, a clear call to you and I to be people who discern between truth and error. It is our responsibility. And then secondly, we see presented in this, in this text, we see the, the criteria for discernment. The criteria. We see in these two verses, verses two and three, that the foundation for discernment lies in our understanding of Jesus Christ. That's what he says there. Look at it again. He says, by this you know the spirit of God. Here's how you can know truth. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Those who haven't are not from God. The way you will know, the criteria that you'll know truth and error is, has to do with your, their understanding of Jesus. 
all truth rises and, rises and falls on our understanding of Jesus Christ. He is the central figure of our redemption. He is the, the face, the, the image, the exact imprint of the Godhead. There are many people in our day who claim to be spiritual, but have a very, very distorted understanding of who Jesus is. You notice that? You find it interesting that, that people can be so tolerant of religion, they'll let you talk about God, they'll let you talk about the, but the moment you bring the name of Jesus up, it's like, whoa, well, hey, a little too much for me. We're okay with God. Don't put a name on that, right? Don't put an identity to that. People are a lot more tolerant of religion and spirituality, but the moment you bring Jesus into the equation, it's interesting how the, the dividing line becomes really, really clear. Do you find it interesting that one of the most disgusting curse words are twisted to use that beautiful name? You don't hear anybody cry out, oh, Buddha. You don't hear that. Oh, Harry Krishna. Nobody, you don't hear that. Well, they will invoke that spiritual, holy, high name, that name that is above every name, and they'll use it as a curse because there's something about that name. And truth and error is defined and, and, and discerned by what we say about Jesus, what we believe and hold about Jesus. The criteria for discernment lies in our understanding of Jesus Christ. He is the metric. He is the standard of all truth. All lies will be revealed when you get to the nitty gritty of what are they saying about Jesus. Look at how supreme the writer of Hebrews presents Jesus and describes Jesus. He opens up the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one and verse one. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I love the opening of Hebrews. It is so rich and so profound. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's like, look back to the past and see the many ways, the many prophets and the systems, the way in which God spoke to us in the past. But in these days, he has spoken to us, and actually a, 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 a more accurate reading of this text would, would be that he has spoken to us in Son. Not just by his Son, but it is the language. He has spoken to us in Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I think it's pretty significant that we get the nature of the one who created the whole world right. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The writer of Hebrews is, is talking about the, the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence, the preeminence of Christ. He is the criteria he is the metric. He is the standard of all things. Paul will write to the church at Colossae in chapter one, speaking of Jesus and say, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and all things were created for and he is above all things. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's the, it's the goal of Satan, it's the goal of, lie, of, of lies to minimize the essence, the supremacy, the preeminence of his son. Everything is about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, the prophecies, the systems, the symbols, the types, they all point to the Son. When you embrace a proper understanding of the Son, you'll be able to rightly discern between truth and error. Listen, all truth points to the Son and all error points away from the Son. And so if you want to know if something is truth or error, then ask yourself, what is it saying about Jesus? What is it saying about the nature of the Son? Notice what John says in, in verse three of, of, of the text that we're looking at. He says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist, what is that? Antichrist, against Christ, against truth. What is against truth? What's against truth is lies. John is not referring to the Antichrist of Revelation that he will write about very clearly in the book of Revelation. But this is a precursor. It is, the, it is, as he says, the spirit, the teaching, the content of the Antichrist. The false teachings which find their source from Satan and will be seen in full display when the literal Antichrist arrives on the scene, as Revelation clearly points out, he will twist, he will attack, and he will lie about the very nature of Christ. So a proper belief and understanding of the biblical Jesus is essential. And I qualify the biblical Jesus because it seems like everybody has an opinion on who Jesus is. Usually people's opinion of Jesus is Jesus is just basically a better, a little bit more moral version of themselves. And so we must hold to a biblical understanding of the, the biblical Jesus. It's not just a belief in Jesus' existence that John holds up before us, but it's an embracing of his deity, of his humanity, of his work, of his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords. James points out that even Satan believes, but it is an embracing of that truth, an application of that truth to our very lives. It is a belief that is evidenced by a changed life that is surrendered to his lordship. And any teaching that denies or minimizes the humanity or the deity of the Son should be regarded as error. And that's what John is presenting to his readers of the day, presented ultimately by the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us today as well. Jesus said about, the, about himself in Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is that? It's the, that is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, right? What do we use letters for? Letters are what we use to, to, to put words together, right? And those words are what inform us. They, they teach us, right? They, they, they educate us, right? And Jesus is saying, I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the alpha and I am the, and the omega. I am the final word on all things. So where do we get that truthful information about Jesus. We see there's a call to discern, right? We recognize that, 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 that in addition to a call to discern, we need to recognize the criteria. The criteria is what is what's being taught say about Jesus? Well, if we were looking to see what, do we, what is it saying about Jesus and knowing what is right, then how in the world do we, and where do we get this truthful information about Jesus? I'm glad you asked. The third point is this, the conveying of discernment. I had a good time with my, my thesaurus this week. I just figured I'd 
play a little bit, and I was looking for a good C word for that one. And, and you know, here's what conveying means. Conveying means to communicate or make known something to others, typically through words, actions, or gestures. The conveying of discernment. How do we um, understand and embrace what the, the truth of the Son? How is the essence of the Son conveyed to us? It is conveyed to us through the Word of God. So many opinions on the nature of Christ, but the only one that rightly, the only way to rightly discern what is true is the one that lines up with the Word of God. There is no revelation apart from the revealed word of God. It drives me crazy when people tell me, oh, I got a revelation. You didn't get a revelation. There is no more revelation after the book, the, the canon is closed, after the book of Revelation. You might, have been, you might have become aware of a truth that was already revealed. It might be new to you, but anytime somebody presents something new about God, it's either new to them or it is error because there is nothing new apart from the scriptures that's presented by God. So don't tell me you had a revelation. I know what you mean by that. You, had, you, had, you, you were illumined, you were, you were made alive, you were, you were awakened up to a truth that's always been in existence. Nothing new is being presented, right? And so um, everything we need to know about God is seen in the person of Christ, Everything that God wants us to know about him on this side of eternity, I recognize there's gonna be a whole bunch more that we're gonna experience and learn about God when we are in the, the sweet by and by. But everything we need to know about God on this side of eternity is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He is, as the scripture says, the exact imprint of his nature. And everything we need to know on this side of eternity is gonna be revealed to us in the word of God. So what are some of the things we know about Jesus? Now we could spend a whole forever unpacking what the scripture has to say about Jesus, but just a couple of passages that I want to bring to you. Romans chapter five and verse six. Paul writes, and says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I love that, while we were still weak. In other words, when we were incapable of helping ourselves. That's what it says. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that tell you about Jesus? That he extends his hand to the sinner, that he reaches out to the lost and the broken. Since therefore we have been justified by our works. Thank you. No, we have been justified by his blood. Since we therefore have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's where we were. That's what our disposition before God was. We were under the wrath of God. But because that God so loved the world that he sent the son, he died on the cross, he shed his blood, changing our disposition before God from being under his wrath to being under his favor for those who embrace the Son. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It means, man, we were justified, we were brought in right standing with Christ at the cross through, through his death, but likewise, as he is before the Father interceding for us, we are still being transformed into his likeness. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though whom we have now received reconciliation. We are no longer the enemies of God. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is a forgiver of those who have trespassed against him.
First Peter chapter two, he himself, Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like straying, like you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wasn't that your story? That was my story. We have all strayed like sheep. You want to discern between truth and error? You ask the question, what is being said about Jesus? He is the criteria. You want to discover all you can about the Son of God? Then look at the Word of God. It is the conveyor. It is the way in which the Son is presented as the standard of all things. Let's continue. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Interesting. We've seen the call for discernment. We see the criteria for discernment. We see the conveying of discernment. The last point I want to bring, the fourth point I want to bring out to you is the companion of discernment. The companion. I love how John settles their hearts here. I mean, just gets done letting them know that the spirit of Antichrist is coming. And he's already there in their midst. Again, what is he saying? He's not, really talking, he's not talking about the actual Antichrist, but the, the teaching, the lies, the deception, the, that which is against Christ is already in the, presence, in the presence of the world. But he assures them and settles their hearts just as he gets done telling them, he says, everything you need, you have to overcome the world. You have everything you need to overcome the world and the lies because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. You say, you might, you might be listening to this this morning and say, oh, I, I get it, all right, so I'm supposed to be a, a discerner of true things. I don't got time in my day to do anything else I need to do. How in the world am I gonna deep, do a deep dive into the word of God? How am I gonna understand every single thing there is to know about God? I recognize that it's supposed to be about Christ and so I need to do a deep dive in understanding everything I can possibly do and learn about Christ and I realize that that's gonna be conveyed through the word of God. How am I going to do it? That's overwhelming. And if my presentation to you is making you feel like, that sounds good, but how in the world am I going to do that? I want to put your mind at ease and remind you that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's what John is holding up. Who is in them? It is the Holy Spirit of God. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's what Jesus taught us. John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I like that. One like myself. Very God of very God. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is eternal. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But look, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. That's the promise that Jesus had. He said, it's good that I go away, for if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But I'm going away, and he will not only be with you, he will be in you. And so what does that mean? It means that as you're studying the word of God and the spirit of God will then affirm and confirm that which is true and right and help you to discern what is truth and error. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he will be your helper. He'll be your companion to lead you into all truth. You oftentimes hear me say, what does it take? It takes inspiration and perspiration. Hey, you gotta get into the word of God. You gotta crack that book. You say, I don't have time. You make the time. If you say you're too busy, then you are too busy. Find the time to be in the word of God. You can't 
you, you can't, you don't have time to not be in the word of God. It takes perspiration, but that's not going to be enough. It's going to take the inspiration. It's the Holy Spirit of God taking that truth and making it alive in your heart. You've had those moments where you read the scripture and you're like, whoa, I've never seen it like that before. Or you've read it and, and it just it pops off the page. What is it? It's the Spirit of God in you bringing truth alive in your hearts. But you've got to crack the book and be a student of the Word. You ever have those moments when someone says something, you're like, I don't know, really know how I feel about that, right? There's that kind of like, that kind of, I don't know if it's right or wrong. There's kind of like a, a little check in your spirit. You're thinking, I don't know if it's just something that is new to me and therefore possibly it's truth or if it's something that just this person is saying is new and therefore an error, but you've had that moment where you're kind of like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And so we go to the word of God and we start to read what, what what, uh, what it says about that given subject and the spirit of God will help us to identify, is it a truth or is it an error? He is your companion. He's the one who comes alongside. He is the best teacher that you could ever have. You look at the text contextually and you allow it to explain and identify what is truth and error. And I highlight contextually because the the word of God was never intended to be read out of context. You're not supposed, we don't take a truth from, a, a verse from here and a verse from here and a verse from there and then present a theology. That's where error comes from. Everybody says, well, there's so many different interpretations of the Bible. No, there's not. The problem is there's so many different interpreters of the Bible, right? And the problem is they just take, and they, you know, listen, you could just make it say anything you want when you take it out of context. Hey, listen, you could do the same thing with each other, right? I don't like getting taken out of context. Neither do you. Well, the word of God is supposed to be read in the context in which it is given. And when we look at truth in the context in which it's given, it becomes very clear and the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that it's either truth or error. The best theologians, how many theologians do we have here? All three of us, that's great. So what is a theologian? Theologian, study of God a pursuer of God. I th- don't, let that, don't, don't let that word scare you. If, you're, if you. if you study the word, if you want to know God more, if you're a pursuer of God, you are a theologian. How many theologians do we have in the house? All right, that's 10 of us. That means, listen, so when I met my wife, I became a lorologian. I fell in love with my girl and I wanted to know everything I possibly could about her. And so I carved out time. I spent time with her. I'd ask questions. I'd I'd prioritize that. And I wanted to study my wife. I'm still studying my wife. I became a Laurelogian. How many love God? How How many people want to understand God? How many are theologians in the house? We must. Do you know the price that was paid? so that we can come boldly as sons and daughters into his presence to know him. The whole idea of the new covenant that we're under is to, to, to remind us that you don't need to rely on a pastor or a priest or a teacher to get to know God. The spirit of God is in you. And we are a priesthood of believers that have access to the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The best theologians put their preconceived understanding about God aside. You say, why? Because their preconceived understanding is usually informed by their experiences, right? By their hurts, by their insecurities, by their fears, and by their background, the best theologians put all of that aside. And instead of allowing their feelings to inform their understanding of God, a good theologian allows the word of God to inform their understanding and then therefore their feelings about God. That's critically, 
critically important. Listen, feelings follow understanding, not the other way around. Feelings follow understanding. Feelings are very overrated, aren't they? Our understanding needs to be informed not by how we feel, but by the word of God. That's really important because if I say to you this morning, hey, listen, God is your father. For some of you, you might be like, yes. For others, you might say, I sure hope not. My father abandoned me, he abused me, he hurt me. When you talk about father, something on the inside starts to stir up so much hurt and anger. Don't tell me God is like father. Because their experience affected their theology of father. And I don't want to minimize that. But what we need to do is we need to put our experience aside and see the heart of a father, our heavenly father and allow that to inform our perception, our theology of Father. The best theologians put their preconceived understanding about God aside, and they allow truth to inform. Listen, don't think for one minute, growing up in America, the place that we are, all the things that we experience, don't think for one minute that does not inform your theology. Our theology. We need the best theologians that are able to put that aside and say, what does God's scripture say? Too many people's theology is informed by their upbringing and their life context. And listen, ready? Truth existed before your life context. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is your companion. And because of that, you're able to discern the difference between truth and error. Isn't that awesome? That you have the Spirit of God that will say, no, that's wrong. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Somebody says something to you, it's like, you know what, I don't know what it is, but that is wrong. There's just no, that is wrong. And now I, get, and I, now I need to go to the Word and find out why it's wrong, right? And that's, that's, that's a big leap of maturity. We need, to, we need to do that. What is that? It's the Spirit of God in us. That's you. That's what he's saying here. But that's not everybody. He says, look, he says, going back to our text, he says, they, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Yes, they do. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is not a newsflash, right? This is, is this a reality, right? By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, what is John saying here? That those who, those who are, are gods are able to identify truth because they're familiar with the source of truth. And therefore, when truth is coming from the source of truth, those who are children of God say yes and amen. And those who, 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 who embrace a falsehood do not listen to the truth. Don't get in a tizzy that they don't listen to you. Pray for them. Present truth to them. Present the love of Christ to them. So our last point, number five. I'll wrap it up with this. Our fifth point is the comfort of discernment. The comfort of discernment. Say, Pastor, you, you just gave me a whole bunch of work I need to do here. You just added some things on my calendar. How in the world? Is, is there any benefit to that? There is extreme benefit to being a person of discernment. There's tremendous blessing and advantage in being a person that, that diligently discerns between truth and error. I'm going to use the acronym of HOPE this morning to help you remember the blessing. There's other reasons as well, but I'm going to just give you four re- benefits of why we need to be pursuing truth and being a discerner of truth and error. Number one, H, it honors God. I think it ends right there, right? That's the most important piece right there. It honors God when we seek, when we diligently seek after truth. God said, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God loves when we search after him, we seek after him, when we pursue him, because he loves to reveal himself to us. And 
Now that person who seeks to be a discerner of truth and error honors God. Number two, oh, he obeys God's truth. He obeys God's truth. It's in that it's in the in the, in the pursuit of discerning between truth and error that we discover what God wants from us, and so we're able to operate and walk in obedience. All right, to obey is better than sacrifice. Right. Thirdly, the P. It says that we are to. It, it protects us from deception. It protects us from deception. When we listen. The, to the degree that we know truth is the degree that we could spot error, right? And so the reality of it is an understanding and a pursuit of knowing the, and discerning between truth and error, it protects us from deception. It, 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 we, we hold all things up against truth. And then lastly, it ensures authentic fellowship. It ensures authentic fellowship. John is writing to a people who were divided. They were scattered some were in the faith, some were not in the faith, and as truth was, was being clarified, some left because they weren't truly, they, they liked the community of Christ, but they, they didn't like the Christ of the community. And see, when truth is held up, it creates a community of truth. It ensures authentic fellowship. And as we, as we cultivate a, a culture of truth, we want to uphold a standard of truth to live our lives by. That's the hope. And that's the opportunity and the blessing that we have. God wants us to know him. Be theologians. And God, the Holy Spirit, will take you further than your capacity would ever allow you to go. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about the importance of discerning between truth and error, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, would, that you would stir up our hearts, that we would be people who pursue truth with everything in us. I pray that as we dive into your word, that you'd make it so alive to us so that we might know everything that you desire for us to know about you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We worship the Lord.